for two months now, the eyes of the world have been on Ukraine. About seven million people have been displaced. Some five million refugees have fled their country. Mostly women and children. Scared, homes bombed, husbands that they had to leave behind, sometimes a father, a grandfather. It is the shock of the world as we see what is unfolding. These people fleeing to countries like Poland and Romania, Moldova, hoping maybe someday they'll return. But as we know, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes these things have a way of unfolding in ways that we never could imagine. And as I reflect on what's happening in Ukraine and how the world posture has taken a look at that situation way differently than in the past, we need to be in prayer for them, for the people. We need to be praying against people like Putin who is perpetrating all kinds of evil on people. So in a few moments we'll pray, but I don't want us to miss the moment either. As we look at this situation, we need to see that it is a picture of our own lives. Oh, we don't feel it. As things start to green up and people are planting flowers and things are blooming and trees are starting to leaf, we don't see that we ourselves are displaced. We're not in our real home. But God promises to bring us there. And as we think about these situations with the refugees and the people being displaced, the Bible refers to us as sojourners, people in exile, and that we're called to live a certain way. So as we think about that, I need to ask a question. And here's the question. Will you, as a refugee, let God have His way in your life? No one can answer that but you. Let me just ask you again. Will you, no matter what's happening in your life, no matter what traumas, no matter what suffering, no matter what pain, no matter what brokenness, no matter what alienation, will you let God have His way in your life? Let's pray together. Father, our hearts are just broken over what's happening to well over 10% of the country. People fleeing for their lives. Wives abandoning their husbands so that they can save their children. Husbands not even free to leave so that they can come and defend the small country. 
against a world force. Father, we pray for strength, for encouragement. As you shake the nations as you did with COVID and you shake us again, don't let us miss that you are king, you are Lord over it all. You will not be mocked. So I pray that this moment in history, people would turn to you, flee to you, even as they flee countries. God, that you would provide for them. You would show them your love. That the songs we just sang would have deeper meaning and profounder impact as we think about your promises and your goodness your kindness to people, whether they shake their fist at you or whether they embrace you. We pray, God, for a deep awakening to happen in our own country, but around the world. Protect these families, though, God, as they flee, protect them. And then, God, we pray against the work of the enemy through people, that are seeking to destroy a nation. We pray against evil. We pray against the work of the devil. We pray against Putin himself, that you would show your power, bear your arm, that people would see you are in control. We pray, God, now for the passage we're going to study that's packed with promises that if we would believe them, they would change our lives. So God, we just ask for a move of your spirit right now. Open our eyes to the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, if you have a Bible, if you have a device, I'm telling you, you've got to see this with your own eyes. This is not a passage you want to defer. It's not a passage you want to be thinking about without it being right in front of you. If you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Remember, this is an amazing chapter, the whole chapter. Now we're getting into just three verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Verse 28. We prayed, we're asking God's Spirit to work. Let me read these few verses, 28 to 30. And we know. Do we? Do we? Do you? Do you know? Here's what we got. Do we know that those who love God, all things work together for good? For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Whoa! Whoa, these three verses are packed, packed with the most precious promises of God. He's made them to you and to me. He's telling us what He did, He's telling us what He's doing, and He's telling us what He will do. Now the context, 
Because we've been out of Romans for a couple weeks because of Palm Sunday and Easter, let me bring us back. The context that we've been looking at is suffering. Suffering. All kinds of suffering. The pain. The confusion. The alienation that is happening in our lives in our families, in our community, in our nation, in the world. God wants to give you and me hope in the midst of all the crazy. I can't even exaggerate it because if we looked again from chapter 1 all the way to where we are in chapter 8, we would say God laid it out about how crazy this world is. And the craziness, what the Bible calls sin, has produced all kinds of suffering, all kinds of pain. Alienation. It's why there's so much division in homes. It's why marriages just just shake and rock and so often pull apart. It's why families, we see people fleeing. It's the explanation for war and all the conflicts we see. It gives us a perspective on the refugee situation. No, I cannot exaggerate the kind of pain that we see going on. But what we do know as we read this is that God, God has a plan and it is for our good. Let me personalize it. God has a plan for your good. Individually. Doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always look like that. But that is what is coming out of these verses. If we look back to verse 18, we begin to see where this is all coming. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So what Paul is laying out is that in the midst of all that God is doing, there is a suffering today. Today, April 24, 2022. I don't know what your suffering is. But I know you're there. I know it's happening. Some of us, it's rocking us to the core, and for others of us, we're just trying to manage. And some of us, it's so bad, we'll turn to all kinds of things, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, whether it's work, whether it's working out. I mean, like just the the whole range of things that we do to try to push down the hurt and the pain and the confusion that we're living with. Remember, after Paul wrote this, verse 18, he went on and said that creation, creation itself is subjected to frustration. That that is, the whole created universe is, is just rocking. He personifies it and tries to explain it, that it's looking to be liberated from the power of sin, subjected it says in verse 22, frustration and groaning. Groaning, I mean, personalizing the world or the universe. And then he goes on and he says, we ourselves are groaning. 
We groan over what's going on in our own lives, what we see, and in families. And then we got to where we were the last time we were in Romans. The Spirit is doing amazing things and working in our lives, working in our own weaknesses. And the Spirit is praying for you. So right now, I want you to understand and see with your spiritual eyes, the Holy Spirit is praying for you. Praying right now that you'll understand these words, that you'll grasp the power of them for your own life, and that you will live in light of them. That's where the Spirit is at work. Well, we have to now look a little closer at these verses. As we look at verse 28, we see several things. We see that there is some work going on. We know those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, of course, when you read it in this translation, you start asking yourselves, well, who's working? And Almost all of us just fill it in without thinking about it. But it's worth taking a moment to, thinking, to think about it because the subject isn't immediately clear. Who is at work doing this? Well, we could eliminate that things just don't work out on their own, do they? <laughs> None of us is naive to think that if I just let things happen, they're all going to work out for good. Life just is not that way. There's too many things that conspire against us. So we can't just say fate. We can't just say a general it. But what we begin to see in the next two uh, verses in 29 and 30 is it's all about God. And so what Paul is doing here is just reminding us that it's God who is at work. So the subject of this work is God. And God is taking all things. Well, wait a minute. What does he mean by all things? Just the suffering of this present time as we go back at the verse we looked at? Certainly, we could say that. But, I think all things means all things. Well, wait a minute. What do you mean by then all things? Well, this is going to blow our minds. But even in our sin, God is able to take the garbage and bring it to good. You know, those choices that you've made in rebellion against God Sometimes you make them and you know you're making them. Sometimes you're not even aware that you're making them. God can take that. Because it's not about us. It's, it's about God's grace at work. These all things, our poor choices, our foolishness, God can move it to good and redeem it. Even the evil and the things that are brought against your life that you had nothing to do with, God can change this. Now, how do I know this? Well, because the Bible is 
filled with stories of people like you and me where God says, I'm going to show you my power. I'm going to show you my sovereignty. I'm going to show you my lordship so that you never forget who's in charge, who is working out all things towards good. It doesn't mean everything is good. It just means he's taking everything and moving it towards good. So let me just give you a couple exhibits. Think of Abraham. Good old Abraham. God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to make him the father of a great nation. We find out that this plague comes, and in this plague, at least as it's described in Genesis 12, Abraham flees to Egypt because Sarah is such a beautiful woman, he's filled with fear. You ever get filled with fear? You ever make decisions out of fear? I have, and so have you. I've been controlled by fear. I've been managed by fear. I've seen fear do so much. Well, Abraham got filled with fear. He then sets up a scenario, and he says to Sarah, he says, lest I get killed, right? Tell the Pharaoh in Egypt, as they're fleeing the famine, that you are my sister. Thus sets up the lie. So fear, some lying, and what happens? God delivers him out of that situation. He used it eventually to bring about his good and that Abraham did become the father. Now, you say, wait a minute, that's just one situation. Well, just read the story of Abraham. Over and over he moved in these directions. Remember when the promises of God were kind of slow in coming? Have you ever had a slow promise of God? Where we are waiting for this and God's not like, God, when? So God is, is working. Abraham doesn't see it. And so Sarah, his wife, says, you know, Abraham, maybe we misunderstood God. Maybe you should go into my servant maid, Hagar. And maybe God meant for you to have a child with her. And of course, Abraham concedes. Again, not believing the promises of God, lying to his wife, deceiving himself. I mean, like, it just multiplies over. And of course, he has Ishmael. And God says, you messed up again. That's not what I was talking about. I'm talking about a son from you and Sarah. My point is that God brought about a king. King who? King Jesus ultimately was the good, even in the midst of of the confusion of Abraham. Well, if you keep reading the book of Genesis, now we're just in the first book of the Bible. You go into Joseph, we could look at all the stories in between, but you look at Joseph, right? Classic example. His brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up then in prison because of a situation with Potiphar's wife. All this to say is God still was working things out towards the good of his plan. You remember what it says, Genesis chapter 50. He says, I'm right where God wants me. A powerful line. And then he says to his brothers, you meant it for harm, but God used it 
for good. Can you say that in your life? That when pain and suffering and confusion, there's an enemy that's seeking to destroy you. We've got our own hot mess that we live with, right? But God is at work, and that's what he's talking about. All things work together for good. Now, he goes on and he says, for those who love God. I don't know about you, but I've read these verses and I'm like, do I love God enough? Have you ever thought that? Of course you have. You're human. Have you ever thought maybe it's not an issue of quantity, but it's an issue of quality? I don't love God perfectly? Of course you have. All of us have. And what we do in a verse like this is we begin to flip it onto us. And it's not about us. It's about God's work in us. You and I will never love God enough on this side of glory. We will never love Him perfectly, so lay it aside. Forget it. It's not about your love. It's about God bringing a love, a supernatural love, into our hearts. Right? Isn't that what 1 John teaches us? We love because He first loved us. Now, unless you're still struggling with this, we're going to see that God doesn't want us to struggle with that. He's going to take us even deeper of why it's not our love, loving God enough, and why it's not loving Him perfectly. But I'm telling you, that's not anything to do with what He's talking about. And then, what does He mean by good? What does He mean by good? What He means is, He is going to make good on all of His promises. Every promise that God made to you and you and you, he is going to make good on them. That's why I love how Pastor Brad brought together a worship segment that made us think about the promises of God, that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to fulfill all of them. As he even threw up the slide on Joshua 24, no word of God has failed. It is so powerful what God is doing that's what he means by good is that God is going to complete what he promised in your life so as we look at this this morning we need to see that God's plan for us is good God's plan is for our good no matter what is going on you can see how that one verse 28 begins to pull all these things together we know That those who love God, not perfectly, never enough, but those people that have really the way we want to say it, the Spirit of God in them, those people that truly are born again, those people who have trusted Jesus Christ, he's saying to them, I'm giving you a promise. I'm not speaking to those that haven't done that yet. But what he's speaking in these verses is if you've trusted Christ, if Christ is in you, if you've been born again, if you're a true child of God, he's saying that there is that person, that's the one that he's talking about, that all things work together for good. The good of full and final deliverance out of this world. That even though you are in a refugee status right now, and we can try to cover it up, 
we cover it up. If you've got enough money, you can start softening the blow of this world, can't you? If you've got enough health, you can start softening the blow of this world. But one of the things some of the Ukrainians don't have is money so that they can get on a jet plane and fly out of the country, so that they can fly to a place of luxury, so that they could be in a place of comfort. So what happens is we get deceived and we start thinking, oh, because I have enough money, I can soften the blow of the hardness of life. But again, as we sing, as we look at, all of us will face that final enemy, death. But it's been defeated. So God, let me just sum up this, this way. God, with his infinite wisdom, his infinite knowledge, his infinite power is carefully, skillfully directing the universe and the affairs of people with goodness and kindness. Let me just say it again. God, with his infinite wisdom, he knows everything. He sees everything. Nothing escapes him. His infinite power, he's able to do it, is carefully directing my life and your life the whole universe with goodness and kindness. Well, let's hit the second point because we've got to dig deeper into the promises that God made. God's plan will bring us to glory. That's the good that he's talking about. His plan will bring us to glory. Let me say it in the form of a metaphor. When God has 100 sheep, he doesn't get 99 to glory. How many does he get to glory? 100. That's what he's promising. He's saying, I'm not going to lose any. 100 sheep, 100 sheep get to glory, not 99. God's ultimate plan is to bring about the glorification of us with Jesus Christ. Now, remember what I said when we were back in Romans before, is suffering and glory go together. God hardwired it into this universe. He, he, he just baked it into the bread that suffering is the only way to glory. That's why I say nobody escapes it. Nobody's immune. Nobody will dodge it. So let's dive into the promises that God gives us. And he says this in verse 29 and 30. He says, for those whom he for new. Now that's the beginning of a problem. Because as soon as we read that, the common meaning to foreknow is to know something beforehand. So what we begin to think is that God knew that you were going to believe in Jesus Christ. And so he chose you. I'm going to give you two reasons why I think that that just does not work. You can't read the book of Romans, chapters 1 to 7, and walk away understanding the power of sin, the death that sin brings, and conclude that somehow, all of a sudden, with one word, it's all getting overturned. Sin brought destruction 
of a magnitude our minds cannot even comprehend. And the quote I used before, I'll bring it back, is the devil is wildly optimistic. If he thinks he can make us worse than we are. Just read Romans 1 to 7. I'm not even trying to convince you. I'm just saying, don't let one word all of a sudden flip you and say, oh, by the way, now I get to believe and I have trumped God's power. I don't think it works that way. He has gone to great lengths to show us that if God did not intervene, we would be dead in our sins. He wrote strong statements, strong statements, in especially Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 about the corruption of our heart. Romans chapter 3, he says, no one seeks God. No one is good. I mean, does this all get turned over and I'm now good enough to choose God? I'm now good enough that I can will to God? I don't think foreknowledge means that. In the Jewish mind, the word no is not talking about cognition. It's talking about relationship. It's always talking about relationship. And it's talking about God's relationship for you. And I can't, can't exaggerate, express this strongly enough. God has this profound love for you. It's deep and it's abiding and it can't be broken. So when he's talking about this word knowledge, he's talking about a relationship that God wants. In fact, I think you could change it, and some people have, instead of foreknew, that he foreloved, that God chose to love you. And let me tell you, he did not choose you because you're all that. He didn't choose you because you were going to be some good person that would believe down the road. He chose you because he chose you. Or as it says in Deuteronomy, he loves to love you. Powerful truth. So foreknowledge is the sovereign electing love of God. The entire emphasis of Romans 1 to 8 is God's work in the midst of a messed up fallen, broken world of which you and I are part and we can say to all of ourselves, I am one hot mess. And God says, and I knew it. I loved you anyways. I've chosen you. Now all that said, I do not want to diminish the importance of faith. I don't want to push it aside. God is constantly calling us to believe his promises. And therein lies a mystery. That God in his sovereignty allows us to believe and calls us to believe. To trust in him. It says the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance that we can turn by his power to him. So what makes us so important is that he just loves us. So in the midst of the suffering, we need to remind ourselves it's not based on us, but on him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about a relationship. How can we get connected with the true God? Well, then he goes on, and let me just bring us to the place. He talks about those who he foreknew, he predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of the Son, that we'd be taking on the very character of Jesus Christ, that those whom he predestined 
he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he glorified. A lot of big words. Let me just walk through them real carefully, quickly, in a very simple picture, because if we're on track here, we're told that this world is groaning, we have our own inward groaning, that we are suffering, and what God is saying is, in the midst of your suffering, don't ever forget that I love you. I have this incredible, profound love that'll never, never die. I'll never turn away from you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I will never let my love go cold towards you. God is not like us, where we are so fickle and our love can grow cold and our love can get all over the place. It's not God's. He's saying, I loved you with an everlasting, sovereign, electing love that will not change. It's not based on you, it's based on the very character of God. And all of us should be saying, praise God. Because I'm telling you, my heart is as soft and as wrinkled and as messed up as anyone else's. And I can turn on a dime, but God says, it's not about you, it's about me. Those whom he foreknew, look what happens, he determined ahead of time. He appointed, he determined what he was going to do. And he determined that he was going to conform you to the image of Christ. Isn't that an amazing promise that even though I may sin, even though I may be a hot mess, even though I may choose all kinds of crazy things, God says, I've determined I'm going to conform you to the image of God, to the image of Jesus Christ. You will have the character of Jesus Christ. You're going to love like Jesus. You're going to be kind like Jesus. And God is in the process of doing that. Notice that it's all past tense, by the way. Don't want you to miss that. Those who he appointed ahead of time, look what he does. He calls them. He says, you are mine. Come, follow me. Come, be with me. Past tense, powerful, powerful words. Without diminishing the importance of belief, what I'm telling you is that God is in charge of all of this. Then it, the big word that we studied so much is justify. God declared that you are righteous, that you have a righteous standing before God. And you know what he said because of that? You have peace with God. Because you have peace with God, there's Christ living inside you. That's what he means by justified. He's saying you have been declared right with God. You have Christ in you. You are in Christ. And then the Spirit of God is dwelling. And then he wraps it all up with glorified. He glorified. Those whom he loved with this electing love, he predestined. Those who predestined, he called. Those who he called are justified, and those who he justified, he glorified. Filled with mystery, absolutely. But don't diminish the power of what God is doing. I plead with you, don't diminish it to satisfy some human whims. God is in control. So I asked you a question at the beginning of the service. Will you let God have his way? Will you let God have his way? You know why God says glorified in the past tense? Because God looks at you. Right now, he's looking at you. You may say in your head, I'm a hot mess. But God doesn't look at you that way. He sees you as you one day will be. That's why salvation is talked about in three tenses. He will save us. He is saving us. He has already saved us. God does what he says he's going to do. When God says what he's going to do, you can take it to the bank as already done. Past tense. You are glorified. You say, I don't feel glorified. You will be glorified because God is working that out. Will you let God have his way? 
in the midst of a world that is filled with suffering and pain. What will happen if you say yes, if you and I will say yes to that, you'll walk out of here this morning saying, it is well with my soul. I'm not saying it's going to change your circumstances. All I'm telling you is if you can say yes to God and his promises in your soul, in your soul you'll say, it is well. Father, these promises are so amazing, so astounding, we can hardly comprehend them. They're filled with mystery and yet filled with promise. They're magical, but they're miraculous. God, help us to embrace them so that all of us could say, it is well.